We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast brought to you by Dynasty Owner. John McKechnie, your host here, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are past the draft. We've been building up through uh, last week's event for a long time, and it went off without a hitch. I was surprised at how smoothly it all ran. And, you know, as far as like our purposes were concerned, uh, you know, we had to do a ton of stuff, but I, I felt like every step of the way was was pretty fun and and uh you know i was able to enjoy the draft while also you know working working towards it uh, i'm glad it's over with and now we we have we've had a few days to digest everything that happened so we're going to be getting into uh kind of our big overarching reactions over the course of this podcast we're also going to get into some recent news and notes from the course of this week but first off mario how's it going pretty good how are you doing john i'm good i'm caught back up on sleep uh, it's been pretty nice out here in Madison, so I've been getting outside, getting on, getting on my walks and stuff and such. So, uh, feeling good, man. That's good. Uh, I'm probably never going outside again, but that's cool. I get it. 
I'll I'll try to get out uh, as much as I can for it. For Tell the me what it's like. Describe the sun to me. Not now, but like in a week when I forget. It's it's warm, glowing, glowing warmth. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, Ugh, sounds bad. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, hard pass. Um, all right. So before we get into uh, all the draft stuff, uh, let's get into a couple of developments that have uh, happened across the league this week. Uh, let's start out with Jameis Winston getting the getting the one year deal to go uh, over to the Saints and be the backup, if essentially following at least from like my my like you know ten thousand feet above type of perspective. Like, seems like it's just the Teddy Bridgewater plan two point Yeah, I think so, and. I don't know what to make of the reports that Winston was like considering or or may have received higher paying offers from other teams and and just took the Saints one million dollar deal just for the, you know, you can get paid in exposure, you can get paid in, uh, you know, merchandise, company merchandise, or you can get paid in education, Mm -hmm. you know, the best deal yet, as the NCAA has shown with no recent uh poor re- repercussions um that's the best payment of all and Jameis was like you know what it's time to get it's time to get my education again uh, from Drew Brees apparently and I don't know I, I guess there's that whole thing about the LASIK surgery if that was the explanation for why Winston has just gotten inexplicably worse with turnovers pretty much every year of his career pretty much every year going back to that first game against Pittsburgh his redshirt res- freshman year at Florida that State, Monday that was the game. best game. That was the best game of his football career. Yep, it's just gotten worse since then. And uh, I just would have been surprised if no one asked him how his vision was that whole time. You know, like if I can understand it, if he said, "I had my vision checked. I just chose not to wear contacts," well, he, and for some reason, he no wore one contacts made me. for baseball, but for football, you know, there's more. Um, just being apprehensive about like, you know, you get hit, the contacts shift around, you could, you know, get it in the wrong place, they could fall out during the course of the game. So he the just guys wear contacts. I know he does, or I know guys do, but I mean, I guess for it's a matter of personal preference. I I don't have contacts, so I can't really speak to how comfortable or uncomfortable it would be to play football or play play quarterback in them or one way or the other. But I mean, that's them. his I explanation. Think, yeah, I don't believe him. Then I think he's just a liar. <laughs> like I think he's a. I mean, he shouldn't have been allowed to have like a driver's license from the sound of things, because um, he, he was saying like, "Oh, I can see stop signs yeah. better and stuff." Like, <laughs> that was good. Well, what the hell were you doing all this time, dude? What? Uh, I don't get it. Um, anyway, if that turns out to be the explanation, then it's like, well, in that case, the Saints will probably want to extend him next year, let alone uh, just just get this one year backup plan. I don't even know if he's going to be the real backup if Taysom Hill is is so treasured as the as sean payton insists but it's a good idea on the saints part in any case whatever the wherever this weird Jameis winston saga turns in the future it was smart for the saints to take salary cap that they weren't using and put it to work for them because this could just turn out to be like a third or a fourth round compensatory pick next year if the right number of starters burn out this year and if the if the upcoming draft class lacks the number of replacements number of replacement candidates to to soak up that demand then it's like you know the the this version of musical chairs this off season where dalton and cam newton and Jameis winston got left out it might be guys more like 
Tyrod Taylor and Ryan Fitzpatrick, et cetera. You know, there's 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 going to be the guys who get left out next year and Winston might not be one of them. And if yeah, it's I mean, that, Indianapolis might be opening up. I mean, I, I know they drafted Jacob Eason, but I think Rivers is only on a one year deal. Yeah. And so it's like it's going to be a case where there will be more demand for free agent quarterbacks next offseason. And for one million dollars, the Saints leave themselves the option of maybe getting a compensatory pick for what, as far as we know, could be the highest paying one so it's a weird setup uh and you know there's like the surplus of starting viable but not necessarily backup ideal quarterbacks and the saints used their free cap space to pay themselves in the future basically yeah so i think that that like you said that was a shrewd move uh by the saints um one one other quarterback experienced quarterback that hit the market finally uh kind of weird that he was even on the team this late into free agency but here we are. Uh, the Bengals officially uh, released Andy Dalton as of Thursday morning. Uh, wh- what do you think his prospects are from here? Like, should he? Well, I guess my main statement on on Winston going ahead and taking the backup job is that it was a bad sign for Dalton and for Cam Newton in terms of their hopes of maybe landing a starting job somewhere because it, it felt like one the first one of those dominoes to fall was going to kind of set the direction for uh, the other two. So I think that Dalton and Newton both, unless it's the Patriots, are kind of looking at uh, one year like rehabilitation uh, backup jobs and then trying to test the market, uh, next year. Yeah. I think in the case of Winston and Dalton, it's like everybody knows they would be better backups than most backups, but still, even with that being the case, a handful of teams already had their backups in mind. Like a team like Denver, I would say should have signed Cam Newton and could sign Andy Dalton, but they already paid a little bit to Jeff Driscoll to be the backup to Drew Locke. So I don't think Denver, which should have been a a plausible landing spot for any of them. I don't think it'll be one. And then you're down to things like Jacksonville, where I think they are earnestly committed to Gardner Minshew for this year. And maybe the Jay Gruden connection there will, will make Dalton go there as a backup, but it's, it's hard to get, it's hard to get to a, a team as a backup when you're as qualified as as guys like especially cam but even dalton i guess and even winston i guess it's hard to sign as a backup without the starter if it's a younger prospect taking it as like a a sign of uh um a sign of like lacking confidence because there i feel like there should be a way to have it you know played reasonable like in, in with the younger quarterback understanding like this guy's here if you're bad which we don't think you are but you might be. So if you are, he will play, but not before then. But you get a case like Locke with the Broncos, and they just went the furthest opposite direction. They were like, we're going to find a backup that you cannot possibly feel threatened by, uh, as if that's a significant risk in the in the prospect failing. I don't really get it. Um, slash, they should have just chosen the easily better quarterback in Cam Newton in the first place. But uh, at this point, with the, the, ch- the chairs, the musical chairs assigned as they have been, Cam's qualifications are basically held against him. Mm-hmm. He's he's called overqualified for anything that's open, and then something that should be open is artificially blocked by uh, just like dubious political decisions, like committing to Drew Locke, even though he didn't really do anything good last year. He had a good game against the Texans, but if you watch it, it was really ugly. Even the passes that turned out well could have been intercepted in a few cases. So 
he could just suck. And if he does, they've got Jeff Driscoll and nothing else to fall on. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, that's that's the reason these guys aren't getting any options as, as starters or backups. And I don't think Dalton or Cam, or I don't think Dalton sounds right to me for New England either. Like if they don't sign Cam, I think they're just uh, not into the tank. Not tanking quite, but yeah, not pursuing winning the same way they normally would. Yeah, um, yeah, I think a Jared Stidham led Patriots team is good for three wins. I bet they'd win like six to seven to eight, but that they team, that, that roster is bad though. Like I'm, the, the, the defense, defense is still could, good, but the defense could be pretty good. Uh, yeah, I mean it's not a good. It only takes thing. you so far when your when your offense goes three and out every time. Yeah, I guess all I would really say is like I don't think Brady was good last year either, and the defense was mostly good because of its secondary, which is still there. But what they really should do, in my opinion, is probably trade Stephon Gilmore and go with the full tank because. Going this doing this halfway thing, you're just going to end up putting yourself in uh, awkward positions every off season where you're you're both like too far away to go all in, but don't have the ammo to to, to like make a proper foundation where where you could conceivably go all in 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 the future. So I would tank if I was them, and I wouldn't be surprised if they've got some sort of plans, not necessarily in motion, but in the back of their mind, they they might have some sort of plan to make that more feasible. But if they want to get anything for Gilmore in the future, they should probably move him now because he's not going to be, he's he's not going to be the kind of ammo that helps you trade up to first overall when everyone knows Lawrence is the target. uh, If you wait until he's 30 or older. Do do you think that this could be, I mean, obviously he's at a different stage of of his career than Minka Fitzpatrick, but do you think that he could fetch an in-season trade? Yeah, he could, and maybe that's what they're waiting on. I have no idea. But the part of the Fitzpatrick value in that trade was the fact that he was on a second-year guy with it, you know, on a contract that includes a rookie fifth-year option. Like Gilmore, it's different, I suppose. Yeah, I don't even know off the top of my head what his contract situation is, but if some team starts out like six and f- I don't know, if some team starts out. Uh, three and three or four and three and they considered themselves super bowl contenders in the preseason i could see them doing something like trade i could see like jerry jones trading two first round picks for stefan gilmore or something and then the patriots using that to try to trade up to first overall something like that yeah no if if um if the patriots end up with trevor lawrence i'm probably just gonna go walk the earth yeah i mean it would it would probably be bad but that's how the world works you know that that's absolutely right. Um, all right, so let's get moving on to our draft analysis here. Uh, we we've gone through the the big big news and notes uh, over the course of the week. Uh, the Bears also signed Ted Ginn. If that if that calls out to anybody or gives anyone a, a visceral reaction, I can't imagine. I saw I saw some people freaking out about <laughs> it, and I I am positive that they are at least bored and maybe also confused because uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter either nope. way. It does not matter. So who who care? Let's um, get mad though. Let's. Um, all right. So let's get into the draft. Um, do we want to start on the positive or negative end of things? Teams that did really well for themselves or teams that, that really flubbed it? Uh, it doesn't really matter to me. I mean, I guess it could kind of just go like a descending order kind of thing. And uh, as far as the first overall pick and the Bengals go, I – I, I, of course, like most people, had Chase Young rated as the better player, but 
you generally probably want to take the quarterback when you're in that position, painful as it is to pass on a prospect like Young. And the chances of Burrow turning out good enough to, to make that decision look good in hindsight, they improved that by adding T. Higgins at the 33rd pick. Uh, I know it's kind of like an odd immediate fit, perhaps, but a lot of the times these things have a way of working themselves out. And A.J. Green and John Ross both have substantial injury concerns. So that's one pretty obvious way Higgins could get into the into the spotlight faster than some might think. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, that's they've got their broader organizational issues that that could uh, – loom at any moment and, and screw up the whole plan the the owner is not one of the better ones and the, the front office has generally been bad sure so they could they could make it harder on burrow in the future but they've started out pretty well here in, in such a way that it might be hard for them to screw it up too bad yeah and i think maybe an underrated storyline and th- this is um you know not exactly the most scientific take, but I think that there's got to be a little bit more juice to AJ Green uh, coming back this year. You know, he, he sat out last year for, um, you know, he had the, he had the ankle injury, but just an awful Bengals team. I, I think that Joe Burrow, the addition of him, has got to just kind of lift the spirits of this entire team. It's like, okay, we we have like a direction now. We have our future, and you know, it's it's a guy that can directly help me and and you know help me do what I do out there. So I think that this. If AJ Green is like really good to go uh, to start this year, him and Tyler Boyd and then T Higgins um, as your starting three receivers, that's pretty. That's a pretty sick trio, I think. Yeah, and I don't know what's a, what's a fair expectation for AJ Green at this point. Like he's going to be 32 in July, so that's definitely getting up there. And he's had his own durability problems even since he was relatively young. So I, I don't know if, if I am getting my hopes up too high with, with the on-paper return of A.J. Green, but if he's out there and if he's A.J. Green, that's just kind of one of the best receivers in the league, even though it's it's been so long that it's it's easy to forget how good he was before this, this uh, ankle thing became such a problem. Right, exactly. So I, I think that there's reason for for some optimism there, again, with it with a bit of a taking it with a grain of salt. Um, they're uh real sorry real quick the Bengals got i like their three linebacker picks each of them actually the the bailey from purdue uh gay there from appalachian state and then logan wilson, wilson or whatever from wyoming all three of those guys look pretty good yeah definitely wilson like an absolute tackling machine out of wyoming D- uh, davis gaither kind of a little bit undersized but a lot of speed to his game and marcus bailey uh he fell i believe just because he had a couple of torn acls um but if he's if he's healthy um then the on-field stuff with with him is pretty spectacular so that that could end up being a a huge value and of course with the seventh round selection there uh you're not sinking too much in terms of an investment if it doesn't end up uh panning out let's get over to washington then uh i liked their draft i I think that uh they started out obviously getting the best player in the draft and in chase young um they didn't have a second round pick but uh adding some weapons around uh you know whether it ends up being dwayne haskins or kyle allen or they build for the future one way or the other i still i still believe it should be haskins for at least uh the next year or two uh give him a a longer leash because i think that he he is promising despite how bad things looked at times um last year i think in adding Antonio Gibson it looks like they're going to mix him in at running back but I think that makes sense because you got an aging Adrian Peterson um, and you also have Darius Geis who you know we, we agree on the talent but we can also agree that that, that knee and just overall um, medical red flags 
uh, variable that he has is, is too much to, to fully trust if you're the Redskins. So you need to uh, continue to build around him. I don't know if running back is necessarily the best use of Gibson. I think that you should use him as kind of like a hybrid offensive weapon, but that always sounds better, uh, you know, just saying it than actually enacted. So we'll, we'll have to see what ends up happening there. But he did average over 10 yards a carry um, last year at Memphis over the course of like 33 carries. So pretty impressive. Uh, Sadiq Charles, Getting an LSU offensive lineman, I think that's probably a good thing. Antonio Gandy-Golden, a very um, you know, impressive, toolsy receiver out of Liberty, really, really productive during his time there. Didn't really struggle when Liberty bumped up its competition, moving from the FCS uh, to the FBS ranks. Uh, 6'4", so he's a big target uh, for this passing game. I like, like that pick a lot. Uh, Kaliki Hudson, um, I just tend to trust mi- Michigan players in the draft. Uh, don't trust them really when they're in college, but um, they, they do t- tend to have a pretty decent hit rate. Um, in the NFL. And I actually like James Smith-Williams a little bit as their seventh round kick the tires uh, type of pick. I think NC State, quietly, it might have like a top five or top 10 um, strength and conditioning program because they are always turning out guys that have tremendous combine measurables. And it, it's not a fluke when it, once it's happening year over year over year. So James Smith-Williams might be the next one in that line of guys that, that can surprise um, out of NC State. Yeah, as far as the offense goes, I can't tell what Washington plans to do exactly. I don't know what they think of the players individually that they're inheriting. I don't know if if the Antonio Gandy-Golden selection, for instance, was uh, indicating some amount of skepticism about Calvin Harmon or even Steven Sims. I don't know how they plan to use Terry McLaurin specifically. Like last year, he was pretty much outside, which is where I would guess Gandy-Golden will have to play. And it's where Calvin Harmon mostly played. Steven Sims was mostly in the slot, and I think he was pretty promising there. McLaurin, of course, was a beast, and Harmon was pretty good in his own. So I I at once think it's kind of surprisingly crowded at receiver in Washington, but also the Gandy-Golden pick almost in the fifth round. Uh, like, that, that was a good pick just because uh, players as good as him probably shouldn't be available that late generally. And if you can add them for, for no price, then – why not? But yeah, I'm curious to see what they do with Sims, especially. And also that includes uh, in the context of uh, Gibson, because Ron Rivera talked about using him like Christian McCaffrey, which whatever you think about Gibson, it's like he's not that he's I, th- I think he could be a David Johnson kind of athlete. But even that's kind of an interesting case study, because Gibson is more like if David Johnson just didn't really play in college because Gibson was a fourth year player last year. And it was the only year that he played, right. even though as a junior, he was still this huge, fast, powerful guy. And Memphis had, of course, Daryl Henderson and Tony Pollard, but he did nothing. And I'm surprised that they wouldn't find just something for him to do when he's that big and fast. But uh, yeah, even last year, it's like Patrick Taylor played running back and he basically didn't. So I don't know if that if that hints at any sort of application. They, I mean, they had a kind of Gainwell just being an absolute stud at running back. Right, but Taylor shouldn't be better in anything than Gibson if if Gibson is like properly understood by Washington and most people. I just don't I don't understand how that happens, but it's it's not it's not something that I'm trying to rule him like cross him off for. It's just very unusual and I don't know of any similar case in the past. It's like the closest thing I can think of is probably like Jimmy Graham at tight end basically not playing and then just coming into the league as as a tools guy who barely ever played. And it worked out great. It's just that I don't really know of a case like Gibson. Uh, but in terms of his build and the, w- the way he runs and I think also the way you would use him as a pass catcher, 
it's a lot like David Johnson, who David Johnson is, you know, one of the better pass catching running backs. But he was always at his best when you lined him up at receiver and, and got him moving downfield a bit. The screens are not really the the draw here the way that it would be with McCaffrey. So I see I see Gibson being more like a, a David Johnson if everything goes well rather than a Christian McCaffrey. And uh, still pretty with, good. Right. It's it's. I'm not I'm, I'm just like I, I don't really know how realistic it is to, to to see that particular outcome if Memphis didn't find reason to use him more than they did. I just don't really understand. It, it could just be like nothing. That's his fault. I, that's totally possible. It's it's just a very unusual situation. Uh, but, yeah, he needs, in my opinion, with all of this noted, if Geis doesn't get hurt more, I don't think anyone realistically is competing with him. OK. All right. That's yeah, that's fair. But again, that's a, that's a gigantic if and. It was a fine pick. I'm not. I'm not criticizing the pick. I, I'm just saying, like, I think he's a backup. Got it. Okay. All right. Let's move on over to Detroit. Um, they ended up not shopping uh, that number three overall pick. Stayed put and got Jeff Akuda. I thought that ended up being, a, a, you know, the smart play for them. You know, whether or not they could have acquired a, a couple first round picks to to move off of the number three or not. I guess we'll never really know. Um, but overall. I thought that was the smart pick if they were going to stay there at three. And then, of course, for our purposes, um, DeAndre Swift and Quintez Cephas become the you know the the two guys to really talk about, and, and Jason Huntley um, as well as far as this this Lions draft class is concerned. And when it comes to Swift, as a guy who uh, huge fan of DeAndre Swift, obviously, and Georgia running back, of course, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I don't like this landing spot. I think it's fine for Swift. I just think it's a bad pick by the Lions, or at least it was a bad two-year plan on the part, or three-year plan on the part of the Lions to spend a second on Carrion Johnson and then another second on Swift, especially in the context of spending another fifth on Huntley. Although I do like Huntley. In fact, I I think he's a better prospect than Carrion Johnson was. But I was I was just very low on Carrion Johnson. I don't I don't mean to sound as if Huntley is realistic competition for Swift because he isn't. Uh, Swift's limitation, in my opinion, is only whatever his body can withstand at the NFL level, because in terms of skill set, I don't think Carrion Johnson can compete at all. And I was probably a relative skeptic of Swift's compared to most analysts. And that was still me saying that he should probably be a top 40 pick. I rejected the idea that he was the best running back in the draft, but he's way better than Johnson, in my opinion. So I think he kind of just takes that backfield. And the question of how far he can go with it is just the the question of how durable he is, basically. Yeah. And that, that honestly is something that is going to be concerning if he's pushed into that number one role right away. I mean, we're talking about a guy that, um, you know, he had 231 carries, um, in his in his junior season at at Georgia, I think that that probably is about his ceiling as far as, as workload is concerned. So, I mean, I think if if anyone was going to spend the draft pick on Swift in the in the top forty picks, they needed someone that could also that could complement to to get the rest of the uh, rushing workload there. Yeah, so Johnson and Huntley can do that. Uh, it's just uh, I do think they'll I do think Swift will be that kind of sort of electrifying talent that they won't be able to take him off the field until they kind of start worrying about his health. Basically. I don't think, I don't think that Johnson is close enough to Swift's level on any given play to, to rationalize putting Johnson out there unless you're giving Swift a breather. So we'll see. I, but I, I do think that regardless of their intentions, Swift's hand will be hot enough that they, they won't really feel safe going away from him until he kind of asks to be taken out. 
Okay. And then looking elsewhere quickly, uh, you know, I I thought both the guards that they took, Jonah Jackson and Logan Stenberg, both good picks, both guys that were road graders for really good rushing attacks at Ohio State and Kentucky, respectively. Julian Aquara, a guy that, you know, I think the draft community was a little bit split on, but but there were some people that really pounded the table for him. So uh, that could be an interesting pick there in the third round. Um, Any other takes on uh, Detroit before we get on to the Giants? Yeah, Okuda said Cephas was the best receiver he faced at Ohio State, and Cephas had a good couple games against Ohio State last year. So I really think that his 4.740 is kind of just the result of him not having good track form. He runs very upright, and I think in a football-timed situation, he might play more like a 4.55, 4.58 kind of guy. I don't know how to explain his numbers otherwise, and I don't know how Okuda would explain why he thinks he's the best receiver he's faced if he's really like a four seven three functional speed sort of player. Yes, yeah, uh, Marvin did get the best of him in that in that Big Ten championship game. Yeah, and Marvin Jones and Amendola are both free agents after this year. Okay, all right. So that that's good. That's a good important detail when it comes to uh, the long term when it when it comes to Cephas. Um, all right. So the Giants uh, they went with mostly a a boring draft for for our purposes but i think it was a, a solid enough draft I, I would if you're grading all 32 teams i think it falls somewhere in the middle uh andrew thomas of course i, I sign off on that pick i had him as my as my favorite tackle um from this class xavier mckinney a guy who might lack a little bit of like that top end athleticism that you see from Alabama players. He more than makes up for um, in just feel for the game. Uh, Eddie Jackson, I felt like was was a little bit similar um, as far as like maybe he's not the biggest freak in the world, but like that guy, you stick him out there and you, you trust him with a role, and, and he's going to make good on it. Um, and then the re- rest of the way, uh, nothing really stood out to me too much when it comes to uh, this Giants class, other than uh, Tay Crowder getting drafted with the with the very last pick. Yeah, I like Matt Pert and Andrew Thomas uh, as a tandem at tackle, but I'm actually a little low on Xavier McKinney. I think Winfield will be the better player just because I feel like I feel like McKinney's just Vaccaro, Kenny Vaccaro again, useful but not memorable. Okay, all right, um, all right. So fifth pick was the Dolphins. Um, so they took the plunge with Tua. Obviously, uh, what did you think of that? I thought it was a reasonable pick. I don't really have a strong enough position on these quarterbacks or what Miami should or could have done. So uh, it doesn't really draw any criticism for me as much as I'm not considering it any kind of coup either. OK, um, I I thought that they made the right pick. I think that if they took Herbert, they would have ended up regretting it. So I, I don't know what they end up doing with with Tua in the short term, but it, I I am confident in him in the long term as long as he stays healthy. Obviously, that's a that's a huge question there. Um, Austin Jackson and Noah uh, Bonagi. I I I should have looked up how to say his name before. I forgot. Name. I memorized it and then I forgot. Igbinagin. Is that something like that? I think that. you said that last week. So I'll, well, I'll, I had it wrong the first time, but it sounds okay, don't it? Doesn't it? Sounds reasonable. Yeah, I mean, it, it phonetically it adds up, but also value wise, uh, I think that was a good pick. Trading back with the Packers and then still ending up with a very toolsy corner to round out the first round. That's good. Uh, Robert Hunt out of uh, Louisiana Lafayette, one of the you know better offensive linemen for what was arguably the best rushing attack in all of college football last year. So I can't argue yeah. too much with that. Um, the rest of the way, I mean, I, I thought it was it was fairly solid across the board. There, obviously, the the top three picks that Miami had will, will draw the most scrutiny because they were all first rounders. But um, I think they they backfilled this class fairly well. 
Yeah, and Robert Hunt is one of those guys, like, I don't know what the workout numbers, I don't think he did workouts, but um, him and the Dotson guy that Pittsburgh took in the fifth or sixth round or whatever, it's like, those guys led an offense, uh, led a rushing attack that was definitely one of the best in the country. Like, they even ran the ball in Alabama, uh, some of the bigger schools that they played against. So if Hunt can, can offer something at guard or, or right tackle, and, and if Austin Jackson can progress quickly, he, he's raw, but he, he was playing at a really young age, and he's very athletically talented already. Like he's really well-built, really athletic. So there's a lot of upside there. Uh, I guess the question of how soon Tua gets on the field might depend on how soon the the Dolphins think Jackson is uh, to, to protect him there. And, and maybe they put Fitzpatrick out there while while Jackson's working through, uh, you know, whatever growing pains he might have. Yeah, I could, I could definitely uh, see that. Uh, moving on to the Chargers. So they ended up uh, going with Justin Herbert with their first pick at six. They ended up trading up, uh, using a, a lot of capital to get back up into the first round to go ahead and get Kenneth Murray out of Oklahoma. And then they got a couple of uh, potential fantasy assets uh, in Joshua Kelly and Joe Reed. And then uh, they scooped uh, KJ Hill, which, which made Twitter very happy in the seventh round. (laughs) Yeah. I think Reed and Kelly, Kelly was probably underrated. Like I think he was at least as good of a prospect as Keyshawn Vaughn, but you hear this tone of Keyshawn Vaughn being received as like, a surefire start starter and then people are it's like just because of the buccaneers i'm guessing yeah also you can't look at the two of them and say also and it's say the pre, it like that. it's the pre-draft rankings too like Keyshawn vaughn normal people had heard of and and people like us were the only ones who were saying like watch out josh kelly could go in the fourth round um so Keyshawn vaughn's been going like as the presumed running back three in best ball drafts even or sorry running back uh whoever's after moss i guess like he was going ahead of dylan stuff like that um anyway uh, I just, um, yeah, I think Kelly is better than Justin Jackson as a prospect. And I, I think he'll be a pretty good player, but not one that specifically threatens Austin Eckler or anything. Uh, bigger problem with the charges is they just suck and their, their team, their team has no idea what it's doing. I don't mean the Her- Herbert pick specifically, but trading up for Murray was a ridiculously bad move. It's going to look terrible in hindsight. And, uh, I don't know who this GM is, but he's going to get fired in the next couple of years. I can guarantee it. So staying on the Eckler thing, it feels like everyone is sort of hedging their bets that that the wheels fall off for Eckler in a way that the evidence is kind of contrary. Like just because Eckler wasn't a big school prospect that um, that went high in the draft doesn't make him a worse player like what he did last year um you know working in tandem with melvin gordon and obviously starting the year as the rb1 there for the chargers i think there's reason to believe that you know there there's at least two to three more like really really solid year of of like rb1 for fantasy production uh type of work out of austin eckler so i think that people are too quick to hedge against him right now yeah he's sick and as much as there's maybe it's valid to be a little concerned that Philip Rivers isn't there to check down so much. I don't think Tyrod's really much of a running back check down guy specifically, but even as far as that genre of player goes, you know, Melvin Gordon, I would include, like, I think a lot of his pass catching production was just kind of the Rivers check down effect. Guys like Gordon and Danny Woodhead never produced anything like Austin Eckler did. So even if he benefited from the system, the system didn't make him. It's not even close. He's one of the best running backs in the league, and it's pretty clear at this point, I think. So there's a non-zero chance that Eckler is just straight up better than someone. Not that I'm using. Not that I'm saying this to put down Alvin Kamara, 
but I don't think it's open and shut that Kamara is the better player and they're ostensibly like the same sort of uh, role function that they offer in offense. And yet it's like with with Eckler, you got some people who just seem to think that they can count down the days until he uh, falls back to earth or whatever. But the problem is he's a really good athlete. He's been very productive every single NFL career and he was hugely productive in college too. So if you want to fade that, go ahead. Right. I won't. Yeah, fade at your own risk, and you know people faded last year, and you know maybe the maybe the uh, the the loudest Kelly and uh, Jackson proponents are the ones that that were stung the most by their uh, Eckler light portfolios in 2019. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. I I'm an Eckler believer. I I like where he's going in drafts, and you know if people want to push him down the board even further, uh, feel free, and I'll, I'll just continue to scoop up at that point. Um, let's move on to the Panthers again. Another team that, for our purposes, uh, not a, not a super interesting draft, but like from an overall football perspective, I think it was a pretty good one. Um, I didn't love Derek Brown at seven. I think that you and I agree where uh, getting that run plugging defensive tackle guy that's not going to generate a, a major pass rush from from the interior. Um, that doesn't feel like something that you need to be spending a top 10 pick on. I think that the Panthers could have shopped that pick, moved back, and maybe gotten Derek Brown a little bit later on somewhere in the teens. But the fact of the matter is, he's he's on the team now. He's, he's the seventh overall pick. Um, Yader Gross Matos, uh, my favorite non-Chase Young edge rusher in, in this class. Yeah. Uh, so love that pick. Jeremy Chin, a super athletic guy out of Southern Illinois, one of the few fcs guys to go in this class troy pride um a solid player out out of uh, notre dame um and then i didn't know a ton about about how they finished out or, or backfilled the class but you know it seemed like they're they're really really uh heavy on building up uh, that defense or at least retooling it yeah bravian roy was the nose tackle out of baylor they took in the sixth round or something and i thought he looks really good actually i don't know why he wasn't at the combine uh, Kenny Robinson, the fifth round pick out of XFL slash West Virginia. He almost has to be good. I didn't realize how good this guy was at West Virginia. Uh, he, he was like a three star recruit. But as a true freshman, he was basically like Eddie Jackson the first two years of his career at West Virginia. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't have recruiting pedigree. But when you get on the field as a true freshman and you play really well like that, uh, I'm just going to assume you're, you're pretty good. So I, I really like him. I think he could be a I don't know maybe a maybe the best safety in the draft um i don't know what his workout numbers though it's it's only the production that i'm aware of uh, i didn't really like the brown pick like you said but it's it's fine it, uh he's a weirdo though i don't i don't really like him he wanted to be a lobbyist when he grew up that's a uh, that's psycho brain uh <laughs> weird guy i didn't realize what a weirdo he is uh but yedra gross matos is a beast i'm just about convinced that he's going to be another chandler jones as long as there isn't any sort of like work ethic or character issue there which I, I don't know any reason to believe that specifically. Exactly. So I, I think that he's ticketed for for stardom as well. So good good draft overall there for the Panthers. And you know, I think it's one of those things where they're they're just accruing a lot of ingredients on the defensive side of the ball, and then uh, you know they're gonna to to balance things out. Sort of a little bit like the the Kyle Shanahan mold where. You know he trusts his system to make the the pieces work on offense, and then he, you know, the the Niners go ahead and, and oftentimes use the draft capital to load up on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and I think maybe Carolina is trying out that method and, and seeing what what this Joe Brady offense is going to look like uh, for for them in Carolina. So interesting to see how that how that all plays out with them going so defense heavy 
in the draft and trusting what they have on offense. Uh, let's move on over to the Cardinals. I think that I was surprised personally that, that that they didn't address tackle with their first overall pick, but maybe they were surprised that Isaiah Simmons was still on the board uh, there at eight. Yeah, and I guess to be fair, Josh Jones in the third round could turn out to be sufficient. I just thought he looked more like a guard, so I'm still discouraged by this. For whatever it's worth, Kyler Murray was apparently saying we should take C.D. Lamb, so maybe he's not that worried about tackle either. Marcus Gilbert was hurt last year. He's going to have to be their right tackle. I don't know if that's going to work. He's only on a one-year deal, so it's not as if they're committed to him. They, they could have done better than Josh Jones at right tackle, so I don't know. Hopefully he's good enough. Simmons was a good pick. I don't really share the concern that a lot of people have. Like I see a lot of smart people on Twitter who uh, really know like their coaching knowledge, and then they're concerned that Isaiah Simmons isn't good enough as a pure linebacker. Uh, and then there's the Vance Joseph quote, like, we're going we're gonna to mostly use him at linebacker, and people started freaking out about that. But I think that's reasonable. You don't throw the whole playbook at – rookies when they just show up you don't throw it at even veterans so of course you're going to practice him mostly at his base position uh i also think that it's probably not coincidental that simmons might be a little bit rough in some respects as a linebacker when he spent so much time taking reps at other positions so maybe if you let him focus on linebacker he can fix those issues and then get to moving on to the the kind of novel additional functions but uh, i don't think he should have fallen to eight I don't think he, the Cardinals were the ideal team to take him, but I won't criticize taking who probably is just like the best player on the board. Right, exactly. He, he definitely was the, the best player available there. Um, let's m- move on over to the Jaguars draft. So they stayed put at nine, and they were able to get C.J. Henderson. I thought that was that was a pick that um, if Henderson was going to be available there and the Jaguars were there, it felt pretty clear to me that, that they were going to go ahead and take him. Uh, and then they, they rounded things out in the first round by getting Caleb on chase on out of LSU uh, toolsy guy. But again, uh, lack of production variable in, in his profile, a little bit concerning. Um, so we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with him, but if it pops and then it's him and Josh Allen coming off the edge, that's pretty sick for the Jags. So um, it could work out. I'm just not, I'm not completely sold um, that it will. And then uh, they go ahead and get LaVisca Chenault um, out of Colorado, a very interesting pick uh, there in the second round. Yeah, I guess Chason could be like a less insane Dante Fowler or something, but even that kind of takes a leap of faith. I don't really like the way the Jaguars scout. I think this draft pretty much sucks, except for Chenault, who I think was both a a solid pick. And I think regardless of what their vision of him is, I think they're going to get to camp and they're going to realize pretty quickly that he's their new starting slot receiver. Uh, Regardless of what they think going in, I think that they're going to get there. They're going to be like, all right, Chris Conley's fast. We play him outside. DJ Chark, he's fast. We we mostly play him outside. The Chenault fellow's good though how do we get him on the field oh dd westbrook sucks doesn't he and so they take dd westbrook off the field i guess they could play chark in the slot more i, I think he'd be fine at it but chenault when you when you have that yards after the catch ability it makes a lot more sense in my opinion to put him at the lowest depth of target position which would be the slot at that point and uh yeah if, if it's if it's chenault versus conley and in, in some i don't know eifert i guess i think chenault could push for 100 targets or so even yep. as a rookie that would be I mean that would be sick and like you said uh, his best projection would be just that that lower depth of target where 
you just get the ball in his hands and let him work um, because he, he's, he does have that A.J. Brown frame, not quite the same uh, level of, of athleticism, and obviously he's had some durability concerns, but uh, there's no question that when, when Chenault um, is healthy that, that he's a, you know, a guy that, that can definitely make an impact um, at the Man, NFL level. The Jaguars took Jake Luton, and I'm sorry, that's one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen. I was shocked by that. It, bully for, for Jake Luton, though. He had yeah, like, a crazy yeah, spine yeah. injury and like all this stuff, but yeah, insane pick by the Jaguars. I don't know why they were doing that. Tall, but um, yeah, so uh, let's see. Where, where are we at next? Oh, so Cleveland. We got, the, we got the Browns, and then, so that'll wrap up the top ten, and then we'll, I'm just going to kind of uh, pick and choose for, for the rest of the way. What, I, what do you think? What do you think if we stop at like the halfway point in the round and then just go, get to the next? I don't know. Or we could just we just go rapid fire, I guess. Even starting with Cleveland, I don't really have much wanna, to say. About I don't want to leave the leave the people of the people that picked in the back half. Uh, unfulfilled. So yeah, why, why don't we just run through pick sixteen and, and run through those drafts? So, Cleveland, what did you think? Well, Jedrick Wills was a good pick. I thought they wanted someone left tackle ready. Maybe maybe they did. Maybe they just didn't think Werfs was one of those players or or Becton. But I think that Wills, even though he played on the right side. Everything in his tool set and uh, skill set imply he should be able to switch to the left. So I, I assume he'll be able to do that. Maybe Conklin can if, if he can't. But he wasn't he wasn't especially expected to fall that far. Cleveland needed a tackle, so uh, getting him has to be considered, uh, you know, not a home run necessarily, but a job sufficiently well done and he should be an ideal fit for that Stefanski Kubiak influenced zone blocking sort of approach okay yeah so I I think that Wills was definitely like the obvious pick for for them there um so he was the second tackle off the board right uh I think the third or maybe the second yeah because it was it was Thomas at five or four and then and him and then Becton next and then I think Werfs went right uh yeah you're right to 13 um so yeah I think that overall that they were able to get you know a guy who ostensibly could have been uh their top rated tackle on the board uh like you said 6'4 312 not necessarily your prototypical uh frame for a left tackle but um a, a strong sturdy player um during his time at Alabama so uh at the very least, I don't think that this is going to be a bust by any means. So, uh, good good pick there. Um, I think Grant Delpit is someone that that I would have seen going in the top twelve going into this year. Uh, obviously, struggled a bit, um, just kind of really cocky on the field. So he he like was he trusted his own ability to to an almost detrimental extent. I, I felt like at times during his junior year at LSU still ended up winning the Thorpe Award, I think a little bit more on reputation than actual uh, earning it in the year 2019. Maybe 2018, he, he deserved it a little bit more, um, but uh, struggled as a junior. That's why he was the 12th pick in the second round as opposed to the first. But um, if Delbert can reclaim his form from when he was a sophomore at LSU, then this is a, this is a, a tremendous pick for Cleveland. Yeah, Wills and Delpit seem totally fine. I guess uh, I guess Jacob Phillips is pretty decent as a linebacker prospect where they got him. I don't know if he's good enough right now for what they need. They basically don't have much anything. They don't have much of anything at all going on at linebacker. I thought the Harrison Bryant pick was terrible, but maybe I'm too low on him. I don't know. I just think that when you're built like him, you need to be a really good athlete. It's not enough to be fast. Uh, by the general tight end standard because you're lighter than the general tight end. And I I just think that's a bad pick. 
when especially they were going to they exercise that last year option on David and Joku, which was surprising to me, but nonetheless uh, is probably their most important fantasy fantasy related repercussion of the past month because that com- confirms that they are going with a two tight end base, which really makes me wonder what they're going to do with Jarvis Landry or if they're even planning specifically on much for him to do because he's going to have to play outside pretty much all the time and I don't know how much that suits them. I do take that Njoku uh, fifth-year option and the uh, th- them declining to basically address offense at all. Like Donovan Peoples-Jones I just don't take very seriously. Nope. So I think with the Njoku option being exercised and no competition being added at, at uh, offense at all really, I think that's really great – for Odell Beckham, who if the team is committed to him and if the offense is vaguely functional, I don't lack, you know, memory. I don't, I don't have any trouble remembering who Odell Beckham actually is. I know the past two years have been disappointing, but just, just try hard to remember who he is, everybody. And try to imagine what it might look like if he's on a team that doesn't totally suck. But what if the Browns totally suck still? They could. I can't rule it out. I'm just saying, like, people are acting like he's just some guy. Like, you can probably find a lot of people who think Stefan Diggs is way better now just because they can't remember uh, a year and a half ago. But I can. And I, I remember who Odell Beckham is. He could go off again if, if this offense is any good at all. Or just something other than terrible. Well, look at you being able to remember stuff. That's not, that's not fair for me. Well, I, you've done it before. I've seen you do it. <laughs> All right. I've been taking my supplements to get my mind right. Um, before we move on into uh, the 11th team off the board here, got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. The best fantasy football leagues are those where every owner constantly pays attention, responds to trade offers, changes their lineup, and are always looking to improve their team. There is no offseason for these owners. That's who you're challenging yourself against in Dynasty Owner other elite fantasy football players who are committed to competing. Dynasty Owner is the only fantasy football platform with a patent game using actual NFL salaries and contracts. Combine this with the salary cap, elite trading options, advanced team rosters, and devoted elite owners to compete against, and you're faced with the same decisions NFL owners and general managers must make. If you're ready to take on the best, then don't miss out. Join the waitlist at DynastyOwner.com. That's DynastyOwner.com. Com. All right, let's move on over to our next team, the Jets. Uh, so they addressed left tackle despite having all the receivers um, at their disposal potentially at, at pick 11. Um, I think that it, it was fine for them to, to go after Becton. I probably would have taken Judy if I were them, but uh, you know, I, I can't really poo-poo them getting a, you know, a guy that can protect uh, their franchise in Sam Darnold. Yeah, I thought the Jets had some good picks, some bad ones. The Becton selection for me was kind of in between it was it was a fair selection i I wouldn't criticize them for passing on him i'm not going to criticize them for taking him he's got he's got his clear selling points and his his valid concerns but that offensive line probably was going to be very bad and it might not be good even now but if darnold's going to be good it's or if he's if darnold's going to get a stable working environment you would generally want to make the offensive line something other than bad, and and there's only so much receiver talent can do to to fix that if, if they don't get a good enough offensive line. So getting Becton in the first, getting Denzel Mims in the late second, it's pretty easy to sell that pick combo. 
Yeah, definitely. And then Ashton Davis is a guy who coming. That's in, a good he, pick. Ha, yeah, he had some first round hype. Um, he can do a lot of things out there. I think Jabari Zuniga uh, yeah. is an interesting player out of Florida. Um, he he didn't have a great final season there, but I, I think that he was hampered a little bit by injury, and he played through it for most of the season. Um, I think that, that that could end up being a nice value. Um, I hated their fourth round for the most part. Uh, Michael Perrine and uh, James Morgan, I didn't really Morgan like. Morgan was so bad. Oh, my God. Yeah, so um, not great there. Uh, Bryce Hall um, obviously could, could end up being a value, but could end up being you know the ankle version of Anthony Poindexter. So. Hard I don't say. even remember who that is. See, there's that memory of yours. Yeah. Uh, um, ask Virginia people, and they'll say that he's the best player in program history, but uh, he, he had a really, really bad knee injury, and it, the Ravens drafted oh. him, and uh, he was never really the same. But that that was a long time ago. So medicine has advanced since then, so may, maybe Bryce Hall will, will end up uh, working out. But uh, I will say I, I do like the fourth-round pick, Cameron Clark. But, yeah, Morgan was terrible, and P. Ryan – it's like he might be okay, but I, I'm pretty sure I can find a guy like that undrafted basically every year. Oh yeah, yeah. Just take yeah. Just sign Javin Leak after the draft or something. Um, let's get on to the Raiders. Um, Henry Ruggs leading things off there. The spirit of Al Davis lives on um, in Vegas. Um, then moving beyond there, they shocked everyone uh, by taking Damon Arnett, who I think is is like a top fifty player in this class. But you know you want a top 20 player if you're picking in the top 20, right? So, um, I, yeah, trade back, Mike, try it. Do something. Yeah. So I, that was a head scratcher. Um, one of the bigger head scratchers, I guess, of the entire first round. Um, but you know, we'll see what happens. And then they just kind of accrued a bunch of, uh, receiving talent, uh, in, in Lynn Bowden and Brian Edwards, along with Henry Ruggs, obviously, uh, Tanner Muse, a uh, really athletic guy out of Clemson, uh, experienced player, uh, one of the better players on that defense. Um, a little bit undersized though. Uh, we'll see how he works out. And, you know, I, I think that if you're the Raiders, you'd hope that like him and Jonathan Abram kind of end up being that, that safety tandem, uh, moving forward. But yeah, the, the Clemson brain on, on Mike Mayock, uh, continues <laughs> to shine through because they also got, uh, John Simpson in the fourth round and Meek Robertson actually ended up being a good pick there, uh, in the fourth round as well, but no, no late round picks to really round things out. Yeah. And Meek Robins, Robertson should be helpful if, if LaMarcus Joyner keeps struggling, but that's one of those things like, congratulations, your fourth round pick has provided some relief here uh too bad the guy that you're benching is one of your highest paid ones and you just signed him two years ago but i i don't know i i kind of hate what mike mayock's doing i don't think he has any i don't think he has a coherent theory of what exactly it is he thinks he's doing and i think he's kind of doing this uh head in the clouds sort of sort of uh approach where he, where he just he just thinks like if i keep making you know nice little picks here and there it's all going to turn out great eventually and like no man your team still sucks congratulations on your value and character picks or whatever your team sucks i don't know how you're supposed to win um they've got more decent players than they used to but it's like they're going to keep losing good players too they're going to miss on some of these picks they don't have any star players like the star of their team is probably josh jacobs or something which i mean it's fine he had a good rookie year but you got to have a good defense for your star running back to matter a whole lot, especially if your quarterbacks suck. Henry Ruggs is going to, I think, have to be a decoy for the most part because Carr and even Mariota, I, I don't think either one is the kind of quarterback to capitalize on Ruggs far downfield. So they're going to have to manufacture screens for Ruggs, which will at best have to come 
at the expense of usage for Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. So I that's, I that's okay though. It is like I would do it that way, but they seem to plan on, on having Renfro and do a lot and, and Waller. They really ought to. I mean, if, if they plan on marginalizing him, that's just not going to work very well for sure. them, in my opinion. Uh, also, I think Brian Edwards is there's there's like a pretty good chance he's just as good of a receiver. And unlike Ruggs, you can't use Edwards as a decoy. So if Edwards turns out to be good, I could see Ruggs getting the just like decoy banishment, even though it's not his fault, just because it's like, well, you can do it, but Edwards can't, so you have to do it. Uh, Edwards can catch underneath just fine, as it turns out. So I don't know. I, I'm I think they got some good players like Lynn Bowden moving him to running back. I don't know what that's about. Like just that doesn't. I, I think what basically happened there is Let they took play too many. Back. You cowards. Right. Yeah. They, I think what happened there was like, they just took too many receivers and then realized they've looked silly for it. So they're like, uh, no, he's a running back actually. Oh crap. We just re-signed Jalen Richard. So whatever it doesn't, it sounds ridiculous to me either way. It's just more annoying for fantasy purposes. Cause if he gets listed at running back, he's useless. Even if he does some stuff, cause it's, it's a higher burden. Uh, you have to score more points at running back than, than at receiver to be useful. So I don't know. It's disappointing. I thought Lynn Bowden looked really good at receiver. I think they should use him at receiver. Uh, it's just that I think I think they know if they keep him there, it's going to undermine their their Edwards and Ruggs picks. So uh, yeah, I, what I a, hate John, that well, fit. Yeah, I don't like this team, but John Simpson was a good pick. Way to go, Mike. There we go. Johnny Simpson. All right. Uh, let's get through these next couple of teams here. Uh, Buccaneers, uh, they they traded up one spot, got Tristan Wirfs, Antoine Winfield, arguably a first-round talent, so good good pick there. Um, Keyshawn Vaughn, um, fine pick for, for the third round. Um, I'm, I think that they basically just have two average running backs as their top two runners. Um, yeah, I don't think they should have really took Moss. They really should have took Moss. They really should have. Um, so a, a little bit just kind of nonplussed at that one but they you know they don't need to really they just need to have a run game in in like its most like literal sense because I mean you just go ahead and you have Tom Brady with Mike Evans and uh Gronk and uh Chris Godwin uh you know it should it should be fine they should just be one of the most pass heavy teams in the league so this will be another year where I just ignore those Tampa Bay runners altogether for the most part um, then they got Tyler Johnson who you know maybe down the line will, will end up being a, a worthwhile pick for Tampa but in the in the immediate future I couldn't have thought of a much worse landing spot for a rookie receiver uh, he fell really far too in the, into the fifth round so that that was disappointing to see um, and then they they ended they added Raymond Calais who I'm not ready to say is you know any or like a whole lot worse than either Vaughn or Ronald Jones well Clay is interesting but on a frame like that there just isn't a whole lot of usage he can account for uh we'll we'll see how it goes he was productive in college and he's pretty fast but he's he ran like the 442 at 188 it's like you gotta be more like a 437 at 188 kind of thing it's it's just it's not remarkable speed for how small he is but uh again with Keyshawn Vaughn I I just think that's a a bad pick because he's three months older than Ronald Jones even though Jones is in his third year and it sounded like Bruce Arians was rationalizing his Vaughn uh pick by basically being like we really need a blitz pickup guy it's like if you want to reduce your running back function to just blitz pickup why not draft like why, why not put a fullback on the field? I don't know. Why, why didn't you spend a third rounder on Josiah DeGuara instead? Tr- if, trade if for you're... Patrick Ricard. Yeah, dude, just 
anything other than spending a third round pick for blitz pickup. Come on. Like it's yeah. just not that hard to find a guy who can do it. And you know, you're, if you're going to prioritize it that much, you're going to put it on the field at the expense of your running and pass catching. So I, I don't really know why, why they see it that way. I think he's basically just like a, a faster Jamal Williams, which has its uses. It's just, I don't, care before the fifth round so and if you're taking him over zach moss that's the kind of stuff i'd fire you for if i had any say because that's it's wrong it won't it'll be a terrible decision in hindsight and it's easy to see it coming so uh they're lucky that Worfs fell to them uh winfield i think they were also lucky fell to him but it was a good pick that secondary is loaded that defense is really sick Mm -hmm. and people aren't people aren't uh taking account of that that tampa bay defense could be the best in the league this year are you scooping them in best ball a lot well, the best bowl got called off, so those teams are, are getting refunded to me. But uh, when I get back in, yeah, Tampa and Washington are pretty much my only defenses that I get. I do, yeah, I like that Washington one as well. Um, let's get on to the Niners, uh, the Broncos, and the Falcons here as we round things out. Niners, uh, they got J- Javon Kinlaw at pick 14. I'm not particularly enamored with that pick the same way that I'm not particularly enamored with um, the Derek Brown pick for the Panthers. Um, but obviously they didn't spend a top 10 pick on Kinlaw. I think Kinlaw has a little bit of medicals where I'm a little bit uh, concerned about the long term uh, with him. Obviously the, the Niners got rid of DeForest Buckner this offseason and used this pick to, to get his direct replacement. Kinlaw, 6'5", 324, you know, he can, he can be a disruptive force at, at times for sure, but um, I, I don't know. I'm just not over the moon with that pick. And then they, they got Brandon Ayuk, um, and we, we talked about this, where teams or Twitter people more so um, seem to be enamored with the idea of like complementary pieces to to build a, a cohesive receiving group, and it's like the the Niners just want two Debo Samuels out there basically, and I don't think that that's a bad strategy necessarily either. Yeah, Kinlaw and Ayuk were two players that I was lower on than the consensus, but I think they're both good picks for the 49ers, or at least I would rather have Kinlaw at fourteen than Brown at seven. And for the 49ers, the way the defensive line is already built, Kinlaw could be a pretty disruptive guy if only because even though he's huge and he'll generally command double teams, there's going to be some times where, especially in a passing situation where the offensive line is is more so concerned with uh, Bosa and even D Ford and Armstead. And in that case, for the first time, we might see what happens when Kinlaw is not the focal point of an offensive line. And it might turn out to be pretty destructive i don't know um but he's a huge guy who's who's gonna get less attention than he's ever had and that that could be that could be interesting uh trading back to get him makes it an easier sell but uh yeah Ayuka was pretty low on as a prospect at least like i had him more like in that denzel mims kind of range uh whereas you know daniel jeremiah and a lot of these plugged in people were saying like no he's a first rounder and it turned out yes he was a first rounder and incidentally, he went to the only team that I think can justify it because my concern with Ayuk was that he I at least could not confirm that he had the ability to create space for himself because that Arizona State offense made it easy for everybody. You go back and look. It's not just Enkil Harry and Brandon Ayuk. Kyle Williams and Frank Darby put up big numbers, like similar numbers to Harry and Ayuk uh, on a per target basis. And I think it's because the scheme is really good. And when you watch his highlights, he's constantly just catching these slants where he's he's not really getting pestered much by the corner. And then the safeties, for some reason, way over to the right if we're running from the, the left side slant and there's no linebacker anywhere near him. And he just catches these slants and runs away from the defense. And 
I think Shanahan can recreate that setting. His scheming can get can do the the getting open task for the receiver. And I think that's happened with Debo Samuel already. You saw how it works. And Ayuk, he's a little less power, a little more speed than than Debo Samuel, but the basic gist is, you know, just throw him a slant and if if somebody doesn't tackle him right away, he might just be a problem for the defense. So if the defense is shifting with George Kittle when he's going in motion and if if they're shifting with Debo Samuel when they're going in motion because they see that jet sweep, it's probably because Shanahan knows how to put the bullseye on some particular corner and he knows how to get Ayuk a little space against that corner. Yeah. And I think it'll work out pretty well. Yeah, so really like the, the Niners just have – like almost like a run game as their passing game, like just physical going to be testing the secondaries uh, tackling abilities at every single turn because, you know, Oh, the ball doesn't go to Debo Samuel this time. It's okay. Well, George Kittle has it and he's like running away from your safeties or running through them on his way to the end zone. And, you know, I, you can, can do, I don't think he's quite as physical, like you're saying as Debo, but uh, he was a yards after catch machine. I think that that was one of his big selling points um, as a prospect. So, um, interesting to see how this all adds up but I, I think I'm optimistic that it will work out for him in San Francisco I think that's a, that's a really nice fit um, going on to the 15th pick uh, a Broncos draft that I think was maybe the best uh, of anyone um, I really liked it all the way through I think Jerry Judy um, that they, they've said and every team will, will say this but you know like Jerry Judy was was their top receiver on, on their board type of thing so I didn't expect him to fall to 15 that as a, a definite windfall for them uh backing that up with with kj hamler in the second i don't know if i loved hamler at that point in the second round but um i think that the broncos were just dead set on on adding more weapons around drew lock and you know if hamler can can take that slot role then that's that's a nice pick uh right there um they got lloyd cushionberry out of lsu mctelvin Nagim, a guy who uh, was like a five-star recruit at Arkansas. Never really fully took off, but I think that the, there's definitely a lot of talent there. Albert O um, out of Missouri, so they they now all of a sudden have like the most athletic uh, tight end tandem in the lead uh, in the league. Justin Sternad out of Wake Forest. Some people thought that he would have been a or potential uh, day two pick, a, a good tackling machine out of Wake Forest. Um, even even Natain Muti, a, a lot of injuries in his in his history at fresno state but uh, but a powerful guard when healthy so he he's a little bit interesting there and obviously if you're spending a six round pick um that's not that's not overly expensive um so i i just liked this broncos draft all the way through yeah it is a really good draft i think and i would have really liked this draft if they had a starting quarterback like cam newton instead of drew Locke. but yeah even Locke. i mean even if he's bad he would have to really suck to screw this up because to have Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy as your outside receivers and, and Hamler, Noah Fant, Albert Okwagbunum, forcing the safeties back for those other two outside receivers, he, he's going to have guys open. He, he will have guys open constantly and he'll have guys giving him yardage after the catch constantly. So I, I don't know how he can screw it up. There's still a way, but – Man, that's a lot of speed, a lot of skill on the field, a lot of catch radius between the tight ends. Uh, there's a lot that they can build with, with players like this. And then, yeah, the Agim pick, the uh, Sternod Ojemudia out of Iowa is exactly the kind of corner that Vic Fangio can turn into a problem. So 
the Vic Fangio defense is about to happen. I just wish he had a Cam Newton type quarterback to complement it. Okay. And then rounding things out, we got the Falcons. Um, they got AJ Terrell. I think a lot of people panned that pick at, at number Bad. 16. Um, I liked Marlon Davidson and Matt Hennessy in the, in the second and third rounds, respectively. Davidson, good player at Auburn, Auburn defensive lineman, just, they tend to, they tend to pan out at the, at the next level. Um, Hennessy, I think largely considered the, uh, one of the best centers in this class. So whenever Alex Mack is done, he'll be ready to step in. Plus, um, Hennessy on, on like an Atlanta Jersey, just, it looks great. Um, Michael Walker, um, I looked into his numbers a bit, good tackling machine out of Fresno state. Um, Jalen Hawkins, you know, a, a starting member of um, a California defense that that uh, Justin Wilcox really, really turned around. Um, so so that could end up being a nice pick. They didn't have a ton of draft capital. The Falcons didn't. Um, so that like after the fourth round, after their second pick in the fourth round, they didn't pick again until the seventh when they, when they went ahead and got a punter. Yeah, I thought Hennessy was a good pick. Davidson, I guess, should be fine. Terrell's not a bad player. It was just a pitiful outcome for the Falcons when they they let it leak that they were going after Henderson and then they couldn't even pull off a trade to get him so they just take the next guy on the order Dimitrov's a terrible GM I'm sick of him just fire him yeah he he's really bad and uh, my my it's embarrassing that live in too. Georgia that are Falcons fans they uh, they definitely agree with you it's embarrassing the, the way that guy like tries to make himself look like a like future genius man or something like uh, you know what i mean with it with a he, he's like trying to look like a silver uh like chrome human yeah, from from an like enlightened a, like some sort of like pixar mad scientist guy yeah he thinks like he's some enlightened sort of like higher form of life or at least i, I th- assume someone has to be that pompous to, to voluntarily make himself look the way he does if you suck at your job and you look like that i'm it's just making me angry fire him please uh, Mr. Blank, I love you so much. I've never said anything bad about you, Arthur. Just fire Dimitrov, and it's <laughs> it's all cool. And on that note, that's going to wrap things up for this week's RotoWire NFL podcast. From Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done